Hope everybody's doing well. Uh, it's good to see you all again, and I just want to give everybody a warm welcome. I'm going to start with a disclaimer. I'm uh, not as prepared as I would like to be, and I apologize for that, so I hope you pray for me. came home last night to uh, about 50 surprise guests at my house, and uh, it was pretty amazing. The, the lights were out, and I was with my wife, and we were just going in the door, and all of a sudden, the lights went on, and 50 people were there, and they were singing happy birthday, and my wife pulled off a, a surprise birthday party for my 50th, and it was a lot of fun. All right. <laughs> so needless to say, I'm not as prepared as I'd like to be. So I'm going to start with a word of prayer. Father, we bow in your holy presence this morning. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we have to open your word. And I pray that you would uh, open our hearts to be led by your spirit, to speak to us, Lord, where we are, meet our needs. You know our hearts and you know the condition of every one of our souls. And some here likely need the Lord. They need to know Jesus Christ. And I just pray that you would speak to us from your word and fill us with your spirit and bless our time together as we look into the Word of God. And so we commit all this to you and ask your blessing in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, so as we continue our study on the Gospels of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, I've entitled this message today, Messiah Unveiled. And the reason I've done that is because, thank you, I really think that... Um, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ was one who was despised and rejected of men. He was one that came from obscurity, and in many ways, he was a surprise to those that he unveiled who he is. And I would say that it's pretty similar today. There's a lot of people that don't know the Lord. And my hope and prayer is that as we study through the Gospels of Jesus Christ, that every one of us would come to know the Lord. And if you already know the Lord, that your faith would be deeper, that your understanding would be fuller, and that in your spirit and in your soul, you would be rejoicing in knowing Jesus Christ. And so my message today is entitled, Messiah Unveiled, the Savior of the World. I want to start by reading one verse in John chapter 1 and verse 11. I'm sorry, John chapter 2 and verse 11. This is what it says. This, the first of his sign miracles, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed on him. Now notice this phrase, he manifested his glory, and his disciples believed on him. We're going to come back to that. So here's the setting. After 30 years in Nazareth, in hidden obscurity, the Lord Jesus is presented to the world as the Messiah. We've already studied how he was baptized in the river Jordan, and on that occasion, the heavens were opened, and God the Father announced to the world 
This is my beloved son. Being tempted in the wilderness by Satan for 40 days and proven to be absolutely sinless, pure, spotless. It says that Jesus returned from the wilderness and went to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. I think this is a little bit loud. If you just turn it down. And so now it's time. It's time now for Messiah to manifest forth his glory. And so I've called this the unveiling of Messiah. But Messiah is from Nazareth. Nazareth. Nazareth is that despised place. Do you know that this was a stumbling block to the scholars? It was a stumbling block to the Pharisees. And Nathaniel, in John chapter 1 and verse 46, said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What? Like, Messiah is from Nazareth? Is this a mistake? No. This is not a mistake. Messiah came from Nazareth. When I was over in Israel, I, I learned a lot of things about Nazareth. One of the things that I learned is that the word Nazareth comes from the Greek form of the Hebrew root word that is Netzer. And the direct meaning of that word for Nazareth is a shoot or a branch. This is where Messiah came from. Nazareth. A shoot, a branch. Isn't it interesting that in Isaiah chapter 11, Messiah is prophesied to be called the branch. If you look at Isaiah chapter 11, it says that the one who is coming is going to be called the branch, and he shall grow out of the stem of Jesse, a descendant of David. This was prophesied. And so it really shouldn't come as a surprise to us that Messiah came out of Nazareth. It says in Isaiah chapter 11 that the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, and he shall judge in righteousness. I think it's amazing as we study the person of Jesus Christ to consider his grace, his poverty, yes, and his patience. Growing up before his father as a tender shoot. That's what it says in Isaiah chapter 53. We read it this morning at the Lord's Supper. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a, a shoot out of a dry ground. And so when God Almighty looked down upon the nation of Israel, they were away from God. Spiritually speaking, there was no fruit. It was dry. And this tender plant grew up out of the town of Nazareth. In Psalm 69, I would submit to you that 
the setting of Psalm 69 is prophetic of the Lord's life in Nazareth. You read Psalm 69 in your own time and reflect upon his years in Nazareth. Here's what it says in Psalm 69. He said, I was a stranger unto my brothers. I was an alien unto my mother's children. He was the song of the drunkards. Those that sit in the gate speak against him. Is it any wonder to you or me that the lovely Son of God was rejected and despised in the world that he grew up in? 2,000 years have passed. Is it any different today? You know, Warren and I were on the street on Friday night, and um, you just go out on the street, and you speak the name of Jesus, and you'll find that he is despised and rejected. The lovely Son of God, who came into this world to be revealed as the Savior of the world, he was despised and he was rejected. But he manifested forth his glory. And now, and now the time has come for Messiah to be unveiled. You know, I think that um, when you think of what it must have been like for Jesus in Nazareth, they would have considered him nothing. The kid who is the carpenter's son. Uh, yeah, we heard about him. He was uh, a child out of wedlock. His mother, Mary, was a, a teenager when she had him. He never went to school. Likely, he never had any official education. His parents were peasants. His father was a, was a carpenter. And likely more correct, a, a, a stonemaker, a builder. And he likely would have followed his father to job sites working in a construction industry, the despised and rejected Jesus, the son of the carpenter. And now, 30 years have passed. Oh, his mother Mary knows who he is. And those who were close to him saw who he is. And the eye of Almighty God rejoiced for 30 years in the fruit of his life. And now, the time has come for Messiah to be unveiled. And so we've reached the point in our study where he begins his public ministry. There's two portions of Scripture that I want to refer to today, and I'd, I'd like you to read them with me. The first is in John chapter 2. John chapter 2, and we're going to read verse one. I have it up on the screen here. If you don't uh, have a Bible with you, you can follow along. John chapter 2 and verse 1. And on the third day there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, 
do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. That's about uh, 700 liters. That's a lot of wine. And they filled them to the brim and said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, he did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone saves the good wine. Sorry, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his sign miracles, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested forth his glory. And his disciples believed on him. I find it amazing that Jesus chose this setting to perform his first miracle. I, I don't know if you find that amazing or not, but he chooses a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and his first miracle that he performs is he turns 700 liters of water into wine. This was likely the best wine that these men had ever tasted in their life. And... Really, it wasn't a public display. The only people that knew was Mary, his disciples, and the servants. And I'm sure the servants are, are looking at this man and, and looking at the water that's now become wine, and I'm sure they are utterly confused. How, could, how did this even happen? And Jesus, who has just been in obscurity, for 30 years in this despised place of Nazareth as the carpenter's illegitimate son begins, catch this word, to manifest forth his glory. I am struck by this word manifest. Um, it literally means unveiling. It means opening to the sight it means to become fully visible. You know that uh, this word is used in John chapter 17 and verse 6. The very same word when, when Jesus lifts up his eyes to heaven and he's about to go to the cross and he's looking back on his three and a half years of public ministry and he says this, I have manifested forth your name unto the men that you've given me out of the world. I have fully made known to them who God is. I have opened in full sight. Do you know that Jesus said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. Do you know that Jesus is the image of the invisible God? All that we know of God, all of his character, all of his person, has been fully revealed to this world in the person of Jesus Christ. And so today, 
I present to you Messiah unveiled, open in full sight, the very Son of the living God. The Apostle John, who walked with the Lord Jesus for three and a half years, knew him intimately, said two verses that are very interesting. In 1 John 2, sorry, 1 John 1 and verse 2, John wrote these words. The life of God was manifested. The life of God was unveiled. He also said in 1 John 3 and 5 that Jesus Christ was manifested to take away our sins. He also said in 1 John 3 and 8, the Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. And his disciples believed on him. That's a striking phrase. You might say, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Is this when the disciples got saved? No. They had already been following him. But it says, and his disciples believed on him. He manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. And Mary said, whatever he says to you, do it. I'd like to draw two principles from this passage. Principle number one, the more you get to know the Lord Jesus, the more he is unveiled, the more your faith will grow. The more you get to know of him and this book and his person, the deeper your personal faith will become. I got saved as a child. I was 11 years old. I didn't know very much. And I wondered through my teenage years if I'm really saved. Did I really believe on him? Did I really get to know him? I got my personal assurance from 1 John 5 and 13. I'm sure that all of you know exactly what that verse is, but here's what it says. It says, These things have I written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Catch this last phrase. And, and that you may believe on him. Why does it say that? So what I learned is that in my Christian life, knowing God is not just one initial personal faith in Jesus Christ. It is an ongoing development of continuing to believe in Him. And the more I believe, the deeper my faith grows, the more my enjoyment, the deeper my personal spiritual life has been with God. And that exactly was the experience that the disciples had. This beginning of miracles Jesus did, and He manifested forth His glory, and His disciples believed on Him. So there is a principle of development in spiritual life that is progressive, continuing to believe in Him. And the deeper your faith grows, the more enjoyment, peace, and satisfaction that you'll have in Christ. The second principle is this. 
obedience and faith. You know, we sing sometimes that, that little hymn, and it's so true. There's no greater way, there's no greater joy, but to trust and obey. That's how we're going to be happy in Jesus, to trust and obey. And so Mary says to these, these uh, servants at the feast, listen, whatever he says to you, do it. They probably looked at her, and, and, and Jesus is saying, woman, this has got nothing to do with you. My time has not yet come. In other words, I'm going to reveal myself when the time is right. Mary is like chomping at the bit. She's watched him for 30 years. She knows who he is. She knows his power. She knows his glory. And she just wants everybody else to know. And so she says, whatever he says to you, do it. Maybe there's a, a little word here for someone in this audience. Maybe God is, is calling you to do something. Could I encourage you? Whatever God is calling you to do, do it. Trust him and obey him. There may be somebody here and he's calling you to believe on him. Do it. Believe on him. There may be somebody here and he's calling you to do a work for God. Step out. Outside of your comfort zone and do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. Because by obedience and trusting him, there's going to be a rich blessing in your life. This beginning of miracles Jesus did and manifested forth his glory. I want to draw your attention to Luke chapter 4. If you could just turn to that passage for a second, and we're going to read it. It's on the screen here. Uh, Luke chapter 4, and we're going to read it at verse 14. I think this is likely one of the most amazing stories in Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 4 and verse 14, and Jesus returned. Remember the last time we spoke about the wilderness? Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report went about him throughout all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place that it was written. And he read these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The King James says, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all that were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say unto them, This day, today, 
This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spake well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Messiah unveiled. Jesus grew up in Nazareth as the carpenter's son, despised and rejected. And this day, he goes to the synagogue and he reads from the prophet Isaiah. Do you know that in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2, there is a very fitting prophecy about Jesus Christ that's directly related to this event. It says this, Galilee of the nations, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. A great light upon them has shined. Here's the sad part. Nazareth and Galilee were in a state of unbelief. They were in a state of spiritual darkness. And Messiah was in their very midst, and they didn't recognize him. Isn't it true that God's timing is perfect? He goes into the synagogue on the very day when the portion of Isaiah that is to be read, because they read consecutively through the prophets, is in Isaiah 61 and verse 1 and 2. Folks, this is not random. This timing was planned by God for the Lord Jesus to show up in his hometown and unveil to the entire world and the people of Nazareth who he was and why he came. On that very day, Jesus unveiled in his hometown six things that characterize the purpose of his coming. Number one, He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. I want to speak briefly of these six things that are on the screen. And I want to present to you that Jesus Christ is the anointed of God. The anointed of God. He's the Christ. And that literally means the sent one from God. The whole Bible backs this up. This is a statement that is supported by the entire word of God. That Jesus Christ was sent into this world by the Father. Let me give you some support for that. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, the word of God says, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His son. Do you know that I started to list these and I just didn't have enough room. Do you know that in the Gospel of John, Jesus states 42 times. Yeah, that's right. I counted them. 42 times. Jesus states in the Gospel of John that the Father sent him into the world. 42 times. He that sent me. The Father that sent me. The one who sent me. I do the will of him that sent me. Jesus is the anointed of God that was sent into the world. 
John picks up his pen in 1 John 4 and he writes, The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus unveiled the purpose of his coming in his hometown of Nazareth, and he said, I am the anointed one, and the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This was not just any ordinary man. This was God incarnate. And 1 Timothy says, the mystery of God. God was manifest in flesh. He was seen of angels, preached unto the world, believed on in the world, received up into glory. This is the anointed of God that literally visited this planet. Secondly, he says, here's the purpose for my coming. To proclaim good news, the gospel. The King James Version actually says that. To preach the gospel. This is why the anointed of God came. To share good news with the world. Could I tell you some things that he, he came to share? He is the announcer of good news to the world. Here's what he announced. He announced hope for the hopeless. He announced that he would save his people from their sins. He announced that he would give his life a ransom for many. He announced that he came to bear the curse of God. He announced that he came to be the sacrificial lamb that would take away the sin of the world. This was a confusing one. He announced that he came to give his flesh and to shed his blood, to give his body for the life of the world. That's what he announced. And so Jesus, God's one and only Son, God himself incarnate, was the announcer of good news to the world. Who's this directed to? It's directed to the poor. That's what it says. He came to preach good news to the poor. Is it striking to you to understand that the Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory, identified himself with the poor and needy of this world rather than the rich and powerful? We read it this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, not many rich and noble of high standing are called. No, they don't need God. They have everything that they need, rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Jesus, God Almighty, identified with the poor and the needy, and he preached this good news unto those that were poor and needy. Do you know that Jesus himself experienced poverty? Yes. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says, He that is rich became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. You might think, why didn't Jesus choose to be a son in, in Herod's house? Or why didn't he come with royalty in the palace? Why did he come to Nazareth? Jesus himself experienced poverty, raised in a peasant home, 
uneducated in a despised place of Nazareth. And he came to reveal God. He identified with the poor and with the needy. I love this phrase. Catch this phrase and, and, and listen to it for a second. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He is not only the announcer of good news, but God's Son, Messiah. He's the healer of broken hearts. You know, there's a lot of people in this world that have broken hearts. There's a lot of people whose lives have been completely destroyed by sin. There's people that are ailing today in hospitals that are stricken with disease, people that have terminal illness, people that are addicted to drugs, broken marriages, broken homes, broken finances, guilt upon their life that they just wish they could redeem the past, and their hearts are broken. I want to present to every one of us today the healer of broken hearts. And it doesn't matter where you are in your life. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. Jesus Christ is the healer of broken hearts. And he was sent to this world by God to be the healer of broken hearts. That is amazing to me. I love it. When we're able to go out in the streets and get down beside a drug addict or a prostitute and they're, they're destitute and they have nothing and tell them the grace of God. The healer of broken hearts has come. Let me give you some examples. Jesus said to a, a nation that had rejected him in Matthew chapter 11, those that had seen his mighty works and those who had ridiculed him, Bethsaida, Capernaum. And he says to them, Come unto me, all ye that labor, and I will give you rest. Rest. Rest for your souls. Do you know why we preach the word of God? It's because there's healing balm for the soul in the word of God. And I'll tell you right now, it was mentioned last night. I'm no different than you. We're all broken. And you don't know my brokenness. You don't know my past or my challenges, and I don't know yours. But I know this. We're all the same. There's none good. No, not one. We've all sinned and gone astray, and we are broken. And our lives need the healing balm of God spiritually. He's the healer of broken hearts. He says, come. Come to me, I will give you rest. Jesus cries out to the religious, not just those who reject him, but he cries out to the religious. John chapter 7, they're going through this, the festivities, and Jesus stood the last day of that feast, and he cried, and he said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Jesus said to a woman of Samaria at the well, who, whose life was likely broken by sin, he said to her, he said, I will give you living water and it will satisfy you. You know what? That's what we need. The healer of broken hearts. How about this woman of Nain? Her only son 
has just died. And the coffin is coming out of this village of Nain. Jesus walks up to the coffin and he stops the funeral procession. Could you just literally imagine? And he says to the man in the coffin, get up. The one who is dead, the only son of this woman of Nain, is raised from the dead. Jesus that day healed her broken heart. How about Jairus? Jairus' daughter, the ruler of the synagogue, he's just he's pleading, Jesus, just, just come to my house. My little girl, she's sick, she's dying. She's going to be gone. Jesus is busy, occupied. Right in the middle of that, this woman with an issue of blood for 12 years, she comes and she sneaks through the crowd and she touches the hem of his garment and she's healed. And Jairus is like, here's all these people with broken, broken hearts, broken lives. That's what sin does. Breaks our hearts, breaks our lives. Jesus is the healer of broken hearts. He says to the woman, who touched me? The woman just broken. She kneels down and she says, Lord, it's me. He says, woman, your faith has healed you. Go your way. And he comes to Jairus' daughter and, and she's there and she's dead. And he says, no, she's sleeping. No, she's dead. Jesus, arise. And this little girl gets up. The healer of broken hearts. Imagine the joy of that family that day. Amazing. Jesus is the healer of broken hearts. You know what else it says? It says that God sent him to proclaim liberty to the captives. You know that most people that are slaves today, they don't realize it. Most people in this world that are held captive by sin, in bondage to addiction, in bondage to sin that has destroyed their lives. They don't realize it. Jesus Christ is the emancipator of slaves. He is the one who has come to free slaves, slaves that are addicted to sin. You know what Jesus said in John chapter 8? I love these words. I love the songs that we sang today. We, they were right on that whole subject. If the Son will make you free, you will be free indeed. Guys, this is the best news that this world could ever hear. If the Son will make you free, you will be free indeed. The emancipator of captives. Let me give you a couple of examples. In, uh, in John chapter 8, there's this woman She's caught in the act of adultery. The law says, kill her. She's got to die. She's got this condemnation hanging over her head. We don't know the circumstances. Jesus knows. And here come the Pharisees. The law says, kill her. What do you say? Jesus stoops down. And with grace and dignity, and righteousness. He writes on the ground. Gets up. The one who is without sin among you, 
Who cast the first stone at her? Stones fall to the ground. Every one of them walk away. Jesus says to the woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? Imagine this woman's heart. She was that close to death. No, maybe closer. And she gets up. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. The Lord Jesus Christ is the emancipator of slaves. He has come to free the world of sin and the consequences of sin. Do you know what the consequences of sin is? Death. You show me a person that's not going to die, and I'll show you a person that's never sinned. Death came upon all men, for all have sinned. And because of our sin, there is a death sentence hanging over every one of our heads. And Jesus Christ came to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He took our sin upon himself, died on the cross to free us from sin. And he says, God sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the emancipator of slaves. Paul captured that thought in 2 Timothy chapter 1 when he wrote these words. He has come to abolish death and bring life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's why I love this message. Because it frees men from sin. It delivers those who are slaves. And it is all through Jesus Christ, who is the emancipator of captives. The next point is, he came to recover the sight of the blind. He's the enlightener of the blind. That's, that is an amazing statement. He came to open the eyes of the blind. Did he do it physically? Yes, absolutely he did. But so much more profound spiritually. Let me give you some examples. He opened the eyes of a man who was born blind in John chapter 9. The man didn't even know who he was. What did the guy say? One thing I know. I was blind, but now I see. Amazing. How about the blind Bartimaeus? Outside of Jericho, he says, have mercy. Jesus stops, and he opens the eyes of Bartimaeus. How about the guy at the, in Bethesda? When he opens his eyes, these are, these are all examples of what Jesus did physically, and that's why he came. But so much more profoundly, he came to enlighten spiritual blindness. Could I ask you a question today? Are you blind? I don't mean physically. We all can see. But are you spiritually blind? I want everyone here to know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. He came to set you free from your sin. He died upon the cross to bring life and light and immortality so that all of us 
can be free from the bondage of our sin. That is amazing. Here's my last point. He came to set at liberty those who were oppressed. The liberator of the oppressed. Do you know that Jesus Christ himself was oppressed? That might surprise you. What if I said that Jesus Christ was blindfolded? Would that surprise you? What if I said that Jesus Christ experienced captivity? Would that surprise you? He was taken from prison. He was arrested in the garden. Men blindfolded the Savior and they buffeted him. They punched him. He took our blindness. He took our captivity. He took the weight of our sin and those of us who were oppressed by guilt and bondage. And he came to give us liberty. He took our place upon the cross. He died for our sins. And he finished the work that God gave him to do. And he has freed us. Those who were oppressed by sin under the condemnation of God. Those who are addicted to vices and bondage. Those who carry guilt. He came to liberate by giving himself literally for our sins. You know what's so amazing about this? is when Jesus finished reading that prophecy, everyone's eyes were fixed on him. And he looks at this crowd, I don't know how many people were there in his hometown, and he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he was saying, I'm the Christ. This is about me. I came to deliver you from your bondage. Their first reaction is they were amazed at his doctrine his power, and his authority. Then they were touched by his grace. The gracious words that came out of his mouth. Then they were offended by the truth that he revealed that he was the Messiah. There was no mistaken in what he told them. Do you know what he told them that day? Here's what he told them. He likened Nazareth unto the apostate state of the nation of Israel. In Elijah and Elisha's day, when because of blind unbelief, God had to move to the Gentile nations to heal them because Israel was in a state of apostasy and in blind unbelief. And he was basically saying, I can't do any mighty miracles here because of your blindness and your unbelief. And that offense quickly rose to anger. And anger turned to murder. And they laid hands on him. And they ran him out of the town. And you can go to this very site today where the brow of the hill with the Jezreel Valley. And they went to push him over the hill. And he walked through their midst. He just walked through their midst. They, they couldn't grab him. Because he's God. And he came to reveal himself. Do you know him today? Has he touched your life? Has he healed your brokenness? Has he forgiven you of your sins? Has he freed you? He can. Do you know that Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever? He's the healer of broken hearts. He is the emancipator of slaves. He is the liberator of the oppressed. And he is the one who has come to enlighten the blind. If you don't know Jesus Christ, our desire would be that today, you would come to put your faith and trust in him. And that if you do know him, 
that you would be like the disciples who continued to believe on him as he manifested forth his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you, Lord, for this portion of scripture that we have considered about your son. We thank you, Lord, that you sent your son to be the savior of the world. We love him today. Help us to grow deeper and stronger in our faith. Encourage us all. We struggle. We're broken. We all have lives that are challenged in many ways, and you know our hearts. Meet us where we are. Meet our needs, we pray. And bless us today as we reflect upon your word that we would all be given strength and encouragement as we part this day. We give thanks for this time together and ask your blessing upon it. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen.